Good morning, New Morning Life Church. It is so great to be with you all this morning, and I give God honor and praise for my dear friend and brother, your pastor, Reverend Charles Hamilton, for this awesome opportunity to come in a different capacity and to share the preached word with you this morning. Allow me to also say that I am so honored and grateful to have had the opportunity to serve you musically over the course of the last uh, several months while we have been in the most unprecedented times, this global pandemic known to us as COVID-19. And while I'm not able to see you physically, I do give God honor and praise for those who have welcomed me into this beautiful sanctuary when I'm here to record. And I just hope and pray that the Lord will continue to bless you and keep you as you further advance in this kingdom ministry. God, we thank you for this hour. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this opportunity to call on your holy and righteous name. We thank you now for this preaching moment. We ask that you would hide us behind the cross so that none of us are seen, but that you get all of the glory, all of the honor, and all of the praise that is certainly due your name. If I preached, I would mess up. But God, if you just silence Rylan, and if you stand up tall in me and use these lips of clay for what they have been purposed to do, Maybe perhaps one or two or three people might come saying, what must I do to be saved? So we give this time and we give this hour back to you. To you, it rightfully belongs in the first place. It is in the only name that matters, the name of Jesus, who is the Christ, that we do pray with thanksgiving and overwhelming joy. And all across the airwaves, we shout hallelujah, we shout glory, and we shout amen. There is a word for your hearing that can be found in a very familiar passage of scripture. We're going to be in Psalm 23. Psalm 23. And if you would journey in the text with me, we're going to go down to verse 5. Psalm 23, verse 5. And the word of the Lord says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And, and, and we're going to just deal with 5A right there. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The word of the Lord is already blessed. Friends, we are in the season of Lent. We recognize that during this season, all over the world, whether Christian or non-Christian, whether you are a believer or non-believer, everybody seems to be talking about what are you going to give up for Lent? Many people have been trained to fast during this time, and some of that fast could indeed include a food fast. Turning down your plate for these 40 days in recognition of the journey that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is about to take. He is on this road to 
Calvary and it's not a fun road. It is not a happy road. It is not an easy road, but in fact, a very somber road, a, a, a very sacrificial road. Something is happening to Jesus on the inside that would cause him to have to turn some things down, put some things down, turn away from accepting certain things. And just like Jesus, you and I, during these 40 days, perhaps you too are in this type of Lenten fast where you are turning down some things, but just as easy as it is to turn down some things, there's still some evil forces that happen to come up in our lives. And those things we want to coin today as enemies. An enemy is loosely defined as a person who is actively opposed or hostile to someone or something. The Oxford English Dictionary takes this word a bit further by suggesting that an enemy is a person who hates someone or acts or speaks against someone or something. We don't often like to think about it, but if we're really being blatantly honest, all of us know something about an enemy. I, I know that all of us know something about somebody or something that causes us to be in a hostile environment. All of us at some point in our lives have come across some people or some situations that have been strategically set up to hurt us, bring discord, chaos, ruin, calamity, and distraction in our lives. All of us at some point have had some unusual encounters and it was overwhelmingly clear that there is an issue and an obvious enemy in the camp surrounding us. Here we are just on the heels of Black History Month where all over this country, black and brown people, all of different shapes and sizes stopped during the month of February to pay homage to the men and women who have gone on before us and who have, as the writer said, tread the path through the blood of the slaughter. And while we are grateful for the African-American heroes who have shattered glass ceilings and who have broken down barriers and who have paved the road that many of us now walk and stand on, none of it could have been so without coming in contact with an enemy. Frederick Douglass had an enemy. Sojourner Truth had an enemy. Malcolm X had an enemy. Fannie Lou Hamer had an enemy. Harriet Tubman had an enemy. Martin Luther King Jr. had an enemy. You and I, if we are to be honest, have some enemies. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57, but thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I may not be able to hear you in the sanctuary. I may not be able to touch you in the sanctuary, but I wonder if I just had one person who can look back over the recesses of their mind and think about the people and the things and the issues and the trials and the tribulations and the situations and the distractions that came up in your life that tried to knock you down, tried to black you, tried to stop you, tried to hurt you, and you didn't know where it was coming from, but thanks be unto God who allowed you to have the victory, who gave you hope, who gave you peace, who allowed you to keep putting one foot in front of the other and keep on running to see what the end will be. 
I give God honor and praise that even though I have some enemies that come up in my life, it really does not matter because God has already given me victory and he's going to do it for me at this thing called the table. This word enemy finds itself in the Holy Scriptures more than 261 different times across the span of 36 books, which would suggest that wherever there is good, I believe Paul said it, you can trust and believe that an enemy and or evil will always be present. Enemies bring with them a laundry list of things that fuel and drive their plots, plans, and schemes. But beloved, you've got to get into a position where you rightly learn how to reposition yourself so that they realize that what they say, think, or do can't even bother you or deter you from who you are and what God has called you to do. All of this leads us right here to our text this morning and specifically to the writer of our text. We as a church have been very well acquainted with the author of this psalm for quite some time. You know who he is. The writer is David, who is the eighth and youngest son of Jesse from the tribe of Judah. David was, was the shepherd boy who would be anointed by Israel's first judge, Samuel, who would later become the chief musician to King Saul. If you don't mind me just telling the story, if you rewind back to 1 Samuel chapter 16, the Lord Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over my servant Saul since I have rejected him as king? What I want you to do is I want you to stop grieving and I want you to get up, fill your horn with oil and get to Bethlehem and get to Jesse's house. And when you get to Jesse's house, I have somebody there whom I have chosen, who I will anoint as my chosen one. So Samuel got up and did what the Lord said and he made his way on down the the street to Bethlehem and when he got to Bethlehem seven sons came out and Samuel was confused and, and overtaken by all of them thinking that they were the Lord's chosen one but the Lord said no it's not any of them so 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 Samuel says to Jesse do you have any more sons Jesse says, well, I, I have one more son, but you cannot be talking about him. You don't want him. He, he's a runt. He's of no reputation or no consequence. He's in the back tending to the sheep. But Samuel said, go get that son. I'm not going to leave until I see that son. So the Bible says that David comes out and he's handsome and he looks good. And when he comes out immediately, David uh, is, is anointed by Samuel. The Lord told Samuel, rise and anoint this one. This is my chosen one. Can I just pause parenthetically there just to suggest that you might indeed be the Lord's chosen one. And because you are chosen, because you are to be anointed, because God has already purposed something for you in your life, the people closest to you might overlook you. The people closest to you might be a distraction. The people are closest to you might be the cause why you may not get to it but if you just stay the course if you just hold on what God has for you will indeed come to pass you need to know that with this anointing however there are some enemies that are going to come all throughout David's life 
He was surrounded by enemies, but nevertheless, he found time to still pen. I will lift up mine eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. David was the one that said, I will praise you with my whole heart before the gods. I will sing praises unto you. David was the one who said, the Lord is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in the time of trouble. David was the one that said, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praises shall continually be in my mouth. My soul that make her boast in the Lord, the humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. David was the one that said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came up against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumbled and they fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Through war may rise up against me. In this will I be confident. Then he skips down in 27 and says, one thing have I desired of the Lord that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple and here we go in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion he in the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me he shall set me high upon a rock and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me therefore I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle I will sing yes I will sing praises unto the Lord and I love what he does here I would have fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living do I have anybody who understands what it is to be in a dark despicable situation enemies surrounding you on every leaning side to your left and to your right in front of you and behind you and you cried out to the Lord saying how have they increased increase those who trouble me but still you find the time to say that I will wait on the Lord and be of good courage. You still find the time to say I would have fainted lest I believe to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Give God glory. Give him honor and give him praise for still keeping you despite everything that's going on around you. David writes this psalm, this, this 23rd psalm, and people use it for somber occasions all the time. They use it as a mournful text all the time. Typically, when we hear Psalm 23, we think somebody's about to die. Typically, when we, when we hear Psalm 23, people start thinking about the valley of the shadow of death. But if you were to really do the research and really dig deep into what Psalm 23 really means, then you would find that it's, it's not a text where you would be crying, but it's a text where you would be dancing. It's not a text where you would be walking around with your head held head hanging down, but you would actually be rejoicing. It's not a text that would make you feel some type of way in a bad sense, but it is a text that might make you feel some type of way when you really hear that the Lord is your shepherd that you shall not want. He makes us to lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. He restores our soul. He leads us in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I no reason to fear evil for you, God, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table 
before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, anybody who knows me knows that I am a restaurant fanatic and COVID has absolutely messed that up for me. I can't go to all of the different restaurants that I would like to, restaurants that I am used to, restaurants that I would, would, would spend a whole lot of money in, money that I probably shouldn't have been spending, but the food was good. I, I really can't do that, but, but prior to all of this pandemic, there, there was one thing that I enjoyed, and that was meeting up at certain restaurants and just having a good time. Now, I'll say this to you. I'm not one of those people who needs to have an entourage of people with me when I get ready to go to the restaurant. I will go to the restaurant by myself and sit there and order an appetizer, an entree, a salad and dessert, and you know, ha have me, you know, a nice Sprite or uh, a strawberry lemonade by myself, pay the check by myself, sit at the table by myself and have a good time. It's just one of my favorite things to do. And one afternoon, I can remember going to a restaurant and when I got to the restaurant, there was a long line, a long line to get in. And I went into the restaurant and after I gone into the restaurant, they said, well, Mr. Harris, we, we, we won't be able to seat you for about 45 minutes. I said, oh, well, that's, 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 that's not a problem. So she said, I'm gonna give you this buzzer and when I give you this buzzer, you'll know to come on in. I said, thank you. And as I went to turn, she said, we'll call you when your table is ready. And you must excuse me, I got so excited in our, in our preaching moment that I, I neglected to give you our title for today. I guess it came up when it was supposed to, we'll call you when your table is ready. So I went outside and sat down. I didn't think anything of it. But as I was preparing the sermon, the Lord allowed me to go back to that moment. And I remembered those profound words, we'll call you when your table is ready. Went into the restaurant when it was my turn and I sat down and I started to observe the restaurant and I started to see things that I had never really seen before. I started to observe and pay attention to things a certain way that I hadn't really uh, paid attention to before. See, many of us have been going to the restaurant thinking that the most important person in the restaurant is the host or the hostess. Many of us have been going to these restaurants and eateries thinking that the most important person is the waiter or the waitress. Many of us have been going to the restaurants thinking that the most important person in the restaurant is the chef. And some of us, if we're being honest, have been going thinking that the most important person in the restaurant is the bartender. Don't shout because you might give yourself away, but you must excuse me. Can I just upset your psyche for a, a second? 
The hostess told me, we'll call you when your table is ready. And I'm looking at all these different things. When you walk into the, the, the restaurant, they'll hand you a menu. They'll hand you, you know, the, the items that you will need in order to place your order. They'll give you a beverage menu. But the one thing that a decent restaurant is never, ever going to do is they're never going to hand you a wet rag, cleaning solution, silverware, plates, cups, and glasses, and ask you to set your own table. So if you really think about it, we've been giving the wrong people credit in the restaurants. But can I just share this with you? That the most important person in the restaurant is the busboy. The one that nobody sees, the, the one that nobody ever asks for, the one that does his job so well coming in and cleaning up the mess from the people who were at the table before you even ever got there and does it so good and sets the table again and organizes all the plates, the forks and the spoons and the knives and the silverware and all the other uh, delicate things that go at the table. And then when you come sit at the table, you have no recollection. You have no evidence that anybody else was even at the table before you got there. Can I suggest that in this text, all I see in verse 5 is God himself being personified as the busboy. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You, Lord, come and set up a table before me in the presence of the people who hate me, who despise me who are hostile against me and towards me, people who have plots against me. You, Lord, stop what you're doing. You stop running the universe just for a second, just to think about little old me and you, just to sit there and set up this table just for me. We think about what it means to live this life thinking that God has, has, has uh, perhaps forgotten about us. He does not hear us when we pray. He does not hear us when we call. You know, we're going through different trials, tribulations, and situations and issues. But David reminds us right here in verse 5 that nothing that we go through is by happenstance or coincidence. That the Lord promised that he would not only be our shepherd, but he would also clean up the mess of the people who were before us and set us down at a brand new table. I'm so glad that, that we have a God who looks at our needs and supplies them all better than we could ever think of it ourselves. There's so many things that, that we could say about this text, but as we learned earlier, David had to live a long time before he could ever get to this realization in his life that the Lord was the one who was setting the table up for his enemies. The Lord was the one who was providing for him all along. Even the historians and the writers and the commentaries inform us that this particular Psalm of David originated during his later years as king. And I want to quote even specifically that there is a fullness of experience about this song 
and a tone of subdued quiet confidence which speaks of a heart mellowed by years and of a faith made sober by trial. Furthermore, the commentaries would suggest the fact that a young man could not and would not write so calmly and a life which was just opening would not afford material for such a record of God's guardianship in all changing circumstances. David that comes out to meet Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 16 is not the same David that writes this text. The same David that stood up against Goliath is not the same David that writes this text. The David that killed lions, tigers, and bears, if you want to go there, is not the same David that writes this text. David had to go through a lot of trials and a lot of tribulations, a lot of hurt, a lot of disappointment, a lot of pain, and he had to face enemies on all leaning side. I know it's not chronologically in order, but even if you go back to Psalm 3, and he's really going through in Psalm 3, all messed up, all jacked up, enemies just all around him. That's still not the same David who says in this text, he's not the same one that writes this. He had to go through some things. He had to deal with some things. He had to be hurt. He had to be battered. He had to be worn, torn, abused, misused, and all types of confused in order to get to the realization that all of the table that had been being set before him was being set up by God. And friends, David is not the only one who had to deal with some enemies. David is not the only one who knows what it's like to have had a table prepared for him. God himself prepares a table for another man who comes 40 and two generations. God himself prepares a table for another man who was born to a virgin and born in Bethlehem to save all of the sins of the world. David is not the only one. God prepares a table for another one who would come to heal the sick and raise the dead, make the mute to talk and make, make the lame to walk. David is not the only one. God does it for another man. And this man is named Jesus. Somebody said that he is the beginning before the beginning ever begun. He is what he was and what he is and was. He always shall be. History can never contain him. Books can not contain him. Nothing that we say, think, or do could ever stop him. Nothing could distract him. There is one thing that Jesus did that could never, ever, ever be admitted or omitted from any tablet or scroll. God was the one who prepared this table for one thing that Jesus did that I'm so glad that he did. I'm so glad that Jesus decided to take an extended trip traveling through the annals of eternity. I heard one preacher say that if he had stopped at the sun, it would have been a brighter world. I heard another preacher say that if he stopped at the moon, it would have been a saner world. If he had stopped at Jupiter, it would have been a mightier world. If he had stopped at Mercury or Mars, it would have been a faster world. For you and me, I'm so glad that Jesus decided to come all the way down to the table that had been set before him. He found himself a resting place inside of a young virgin by the name of Mary. He was born in a major and there was no room for him in the end. 
again, Jesus was that same one that they wrapped in swaddling clothes. Jesus was that same one who grew up only to be accused of treason. Jesus was arrested, convicted, and sentenced. And here we are in the season of Lent where we will soon get to Calvary to find out where they beat him all night long, spat in his face, plucked the hairs from his beard, put a crown of thorns on his head, made him carry an old rugged cross, and he carried it not because he cared about his enemies, but he cared about me and you. He was not distracted by the people who were hurting him. He was not distracted by the people who were putting him down. He was not distracted by the people who were causing ruin and causing chaos and causing all types of confusion, trying to dismantle his name. No, he knew that his focus was the cross. He knew that he had to get there for you and he had to get there for me. Jesus was the one that God himself prepared a table for just so that his enemies could see that there is nothing that can ever stop the very mission and the very purpose and for God to get his glory. Jesus was the one who was there when they lied on him. Jesus was the one who was hung up there between two thieves. Jesus was the one who was there making intercession on the cross for you and I. And even though it didn't look like it, even though it may not have felt like it, that was the table that God was preparing. It was a gruesome scene, but that was the table that God was preparing for his own son. And if he does that for his own son, he will do the same thing for me and for you. Friends, people are not always going to understand the call on your life, the anointing on your life, and the fact that you are chosen for such a time as this. But what they will see as we can see in the, in the text. This very clear table being prepared before them to watch you reap all of the blessings and all of the benefits that God has for you. Don't worry about your enemies or your haters or your naysayers because they have no victory over you. We'll call you when your table is ready. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be unto God. God bless you.